Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's like James would be looking at people who think that, well, what do I do? I'm being attacked by the devil. I'm being attacked by demonic spirits. What do I do? Submit to God. (laughs) Resist them. Resist them. They'll flee. Take your stand. In other words, this is the idea of just taking your stand. You don't have to chase after them. You don't have to focus on them. You don't have to make them your obsession. Just take your stand. Draw near to God. That's your focus. Draw near to, they're not your focus. God is. Draw near to God. And oh, by the way, if you got something going on in your life, wash your hands. Repent of it. Let the Lord bring the cleansing that's needed. <laughs> Peter. Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. First Peter. 5 verses 8 through 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I like this. Peter is acknowledging that, look, spiritual warfare is real. They're going to attack. Satan might even want to attack. They're going to attack. This is what they're doing. They want to devour you. But listen to what he says in verse 9. Resist them, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He makes it a matter of fact again, just saying, in other words, just keep pressing on and resist. Staying with the equipping that the Lord has given you, keep marching on. Don't get worried about them. March on. God will be your protection. I like this because I've just heard so many, what I believe to be absolutely errant teachings that, that, that formulates all sorts of rituals for Christians to go through in order to free themselves of any kind of demonic oppression. Demonic oppression can be very real. Demonic attacks can be very real in the believer's life. And it's all reduced to the simplicity of this. God's given you the equipping. Keep your focus on him. Keep marching. Keep marching. Don't get distracted by it all. And if you're a Christian, know this, demonic possession will not affect your life. It might affect you as you come in contact with people who are demonically possessed, who God then wants to to make you aware of, to use you in those situations, but demons cannot possess you personally as a believer. Number four, and finally, demon possession doesn't just happen randomly. People open the doors to it in their lives. You come across a person who is truly demon-possessed, you can know that they gave themselves over to demonic things, which eventually opened them to come under the authority of demons who then took up residence in them. And it oftentimes begins in small, innocuous ways. It's small things that they begin to dabble with, to engage in, to find themselves fascinated with. But over time, more and more, those doors get opened up until they've opened the door wide and invited them in. In other words, it doesn't just happen by accident or against any person's will. People who find themselves possessed by demons have themselves welcomed demons in by the very things that they were engaging in in their lives. And what are some of those things? Well, I just speculate. I think there are a lot of doors that can be opened. You know, fascination with the occult 
and, and playing around with, with occultic kind of things. I am not a fan of Ouija boards, man. If you've got one in your house, you need to throw it out. It's got nothing for you as a believer. Nothing. You know, at the very least, it's soothsaying. At the worst, it's demonically motivated and moved. Games. There are games out there. Absolutely demonic in, in, in the video game world and in the board game world. Stay away from that kind of stuff with its incantations and all of that. There's a fascination that grows with it that over time can begin to become a gateway to other things. Drugs. And the scriptures are referred to as pharmakia. The idea is a gateway. There's a gateway. Pursuit of power and prestige. Yeah, that can be a gateway. You've heard people make the expression making deals with the devil. In a lot of cases, people be willing to trade lots of things in order to get power, prestige, or money. The pursuit of sexual obsessions and deviant sexual pursuits, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But there's lots of gateways that have nothing to do, that have nothing to do with the, the simplicity of the pure things in the Word of God. But in all cases, a doorway is required which a person chooses to open, whether knowingly or unknowingly. It doesn't just happen by chance. Now, all of that being the case, how do we deal with it when we come across it? Well, let's look at Jesus because he's always our go-to for, for knowing how to deal with things. Look at verse 33. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. So Luke tells us that as this demon-possessed man sees Jesus, he, the demon, through the man, using the man's vocal cords, begins to scream some things at Jesus. And literally, when he says, cried out with a loud voice, it means he was shouting these things out. First thing he shouts out is, let us alone. Let us alone. Now, now note that this is, is stated in the plural. <laughs> implying that there's more than one demon that's taken up residence in this man. And Scripture indicates that that is oftentimes the case, that there's more than one demon at work in a person's life. As we're going to see when we get to chapter 8 of the book of Luke, it sometimes involves a number of demons in a single person. In Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it reveals that Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her, but Jesus delivered her from them. Luke chapter 8 and verse 30, it will reveal that the possessed man in the region of the Gadarenes had a legion of them within him. Because Jesus says, he calls him out, to, what's your name? He says, we are legion for we are many. And it's an understandable fact that this multitude of demonic spirits, however many there are in this man, want Jesus to let them alone. They know who he is. They know what he's capable of doing. In fact, they're going to make some assumptions about him, and I'll explain that in a moment, that that haven't happened yet, but they know what the potential is here in dealing with Jesus. And they're just saying, let us alone. When they say, what do we have to do with you? That's the second thing. What do we, what have we to do with you? This is a hostile way of saying, what business do we have with each other? Mind your own business, Jesus. Go back to whatever it is you were doing. What do we got to do with each other? Just move on. Number three, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You'll note that Jesus has not identified himself to these demonic spirits, but they clearly knew who he was by name. As one pastor said it, he said it's ironic that the demons knew who Jesus was, but the chosen people, those from his own city, did not appreciate who he was. Hmm, interesting contrast. Number four, they cry out, did you come to destroy us? 
Did you come to destroy us? This is, this is more than simply a statement as to whether or not Jesus was about to do them in, but it was actually a question concerning the coming of the kingdom age. You see, it's a question that is asking whether or not the kingdom age was now here, an age when even the demons knew from the scriptures that their power and control over the world will be broken forever. The demonic hosts know that there's an end coming. I know people think that that Satan thinks that he can get away with it all and he'll just keep on doing it because he thinks he can get away with it. But that's not true. If you look at the book of Revelation, we are told that he rages. He knows his end is coming. He knows better than you do what the end holds for him as Scripture teaches it. He's just trying to take as many down as he possibly can. These demonic spirits know the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures that speak of the kingdom age when the demons will have no authority anymore, not just taking away their authority, but that they'll be eventually be cast into the lake of fire (laughs) along with Satan himself. And all they're asking in this moment is, is that what's happening now? Are you here because you're coming to fulfill that right now? Is Are you here to destroy us? Meaning is the kingdom age now upon us? Number five, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here again, the demon clearly reveals that he knows who Jesus really is, something which the people of Israel didn't even yet fully comprehend, as a lot of people in our world don't fully comprehend. But in addition to simply recognizing Jesus, the demons recognize something important about him. They recognize and, and they're publicly testifying that Jesus is holy. In other words, that Jesus is holy, he's righteous, he's pure. The declaration that they're making, think about this, is going to fly in contrast to the declaration that even the religious leaders of Israel will make about Jesus because they're going to call him Beelzebub, Bob, the, the chief demon, you know, the ruler of demons. They're going to constantly accuse him of being demon-possessed. But even the demons know that Jesus doesn't have any unclean spirit in him but he's the Holy One of God. Even the demons knew. (laughs) Isn't it sad that the demons know and declare things that sinfully fallen men, even in our world today, fail to recognize and declare, even twisting and distorting who Jesus is in order to fit their own agendas. And the demons are more than happy to let men get away with doing that. But they themselves know exactly who he is. (laughs) One other thing to note, With the initial response the demon makes to Jesus, some suggest that a nuance is missing in the English translation from the English, from the original Greek language that's used here. They suggest that the way it's phrased in the very first verse there, that it suggests that they actually express an exclamation of surprise, that the demons are surprised to see Jesus here. And you might say, so what? Well, this reveals something important to us about the demonic realm something that a lot of Christians fail to understand, that that Satan and the demonic realm are not omniscient. They can't see into the future. They can't see into the future. They might know what the future holds, as I said a moment ago, probably better than any of us, because they know Scripture better than any of us. And they can read the cues of things that are happening, possibly with more acuity than you and I can. But they cannot see into the future knowing exactly when things are going to occur or how exactly it's going to unfold when it comes. So let's add all this up to some things we've already observed about the demonic realm. 
The fact that they can't do things to us as Christians, or, or even do in this world, other than that which God permits them to do, we know that they are not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. The fact that they were surprised to see Jesus and didn't know what he was going to do to them tells us that they are not omniscient. And no, they can't read your mind. <laughs> okay? And the fact that they didn't even know that Jesus was in the village in the first place also tells us that they're not omnipresent. And besides, Satan is described as leaving Jesus in the desert after tempting him. That alone tells us that Satan can't be omnipresent. It's to move from location to location. Now, why do I point this out? Because the demons are not these things, but who is? God himself. God himself. God is the only one who's omnipotent, all-powerful. God is the only one who's omniscient, knowing all things. God is the only one who is omnipresent, can be every place at once. Yeah, he's here with me, he's there with you, and he's there with people who aren't even listening to this right now. God's everywhere. But now, look at the way Jesus deals with this demon. By the way, I just said that to you to make the point. Sometimes we give the demonic realm way too much attention, and we give them way too much authority and, and ascribe things to them that just they don't have the ability to do. We need to know that. Verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Note the simple way that Jesus dealt with this demonic spirit. No special or elaborate, elaborate spiritual incantations. No special ceremonies or rituals. No special spiritual dances, you know. No, I won't do it here either. I told the group out there I could have did a dance, but the platform would have collapsed. I won't do it here either. But, you know, there's this idea that we got to do something, you know, it's got to do something elaborate. No laying on hands, no screaming formulas, none of that. Just a simple and clear command. Be quiet and come out of him. Be quiet. Literally, be quiet means be muzzled. Be muzzled. Come out literally means, you ready for this? Come out. Get out. <laughs> That's what it means. Now, it's worth noting that exorcisms were not uncommon in Israel before Jesus came. Jewish rabbis and spiritual leaders performed them on people that they determined to be demonically possessed. But Jesus' approach was far different than what had been their practice, like the practice of some Christians today. The rabbis used all sorts of elaborate rituals, but Jesus simply used his own authority. He reduced it all to a simple command, which he gave with authority, and the demons trembled and they responded. Folks, things have not changed for us if we are confronted with demonic possession. Many complain that the Bible doesn't give us guidance on how to deal with these kinds of things, but that's simply not true. The Bible does give us clear guidance, but many Christians miss this because they, like the rabbis of, of, of pre-Jesus' days, are looking for something far more complex, a formula-oriented ritual to apply. But Jesus showed us, and elsewhere he told us, that the Bible itself confirms it all to us. Number one, we don't do it. That's what it confirms. That's what Jesus tells us. That's what it confirms in Scripture. We don't do it. We let Jesus do it. 
It's the power and the authority of Jesus that deals with demonic possession. In the same way that it's the power and the authority of Jesus that deals with spiritual oppression and attacks in our lives, it is Jesus' spiritual authority and power that deals with the demonic realm as a whole, even when it comes to possession. What I mean is that casting out demons is not predicated on any special ritual, on any special formula, or on any special ability on our part, but it is simply done by Jesus' authority. We we free people from demonic possession by not commanding them to come out, not just by using his name in some formula-oriented fashion, but by turning to Jesus and asking Jesus to free them by the power and the authority that he holds over those demonic spirits. We're, We're looking for Jesus to rebuke them, not to ourselves. You know, Jude made this perfectly clear to us. In Jude chapter, in Jude 9, I almost said chapter 9, there are nine chapters in Jude. In Jude 9, it says this, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Think about that. This is the archangel Michael. He He doesn't come up with a formula. He just says, The Lord rebuke you. Number two. If anything is required on our part, it's not a ritual, but it's simply the things that focus us on Jesus and his power and his authority, and those things are prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. In Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus returned with several of his disciples from being transfigured on the mountain, they immediately came upon the remaining disciples and this man with a demon-possessed son, whom Jesus' disciples were unable to deliver from his demonic possession. You might recall the account, but I want to read this to you very quickly. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14 through verse 21. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. It's interesting there. The the term epileptic is used in our English translations. If you you look at the Greek, the implication is far more than a medical condition. And Jesus is about to validate that. Now, it is possible that the man thought it was some form of a medical condition, but Jesus validates that it's something far more. It says in verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked, not the epilepsy, But Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now listen. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Hmm. Do you know there's a problem in that statement already? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we, we, me, I, why couldn't I do it? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Uh, Here's the point. The sense we get as we read into this passage is that the disciples tried to deliver this boy from the demon's possession. They knew he was demonically possessed. They knew. 
But their efforts failed because they were looking to the wrong things, possibly to the rituals. That's possible. They might have been trying to do it like the rabbis did before Jesus. And and most definitely, they were looking to their own spiritual power and abilities to do it. And what happened? It resulted in failure. And what does Jesus do? He points them to the things that lead them back to where their focus needs to be. The very focus on the one who has the power and the authority to deliver this boy. And what are those things? Prayer and fasting. Two things that point us back to Jesus. Two things that focus us on the Lord. Prayer and fasting, which would focus them on Jesus and his authority to deal with the possession. Now, do you see the simplicity of which is being communicated to us about these kinds of things? It's not about ritual. It's not about formula. It's not about shouting and shouting the right words. It's not even about using Jesus' name in a formulaic sense. It's, It's not about any action on our part. It's about Jesus and his authority to deal with these things. Granted, he told his disciples and he told us as his present day disciples that he has given us his authority over these spiritually impure spirits. But the authority he has given us is his authority. And, and we need to look to him, not to the ritual or to the formula or to the wording when confronting these kinds of things. If we look to Jesus, he will remove them by his authority even though we may have his authority to look and say, come out. We're doing that with an eye to Jesus and asking him to remove these things. We might be his vessel standing at the side of that man or woman who are in demonic bondage, but our part is to take them to Jesus through prayer, through fasting, through the power of his name to experience the deliverance which only he can bring to their lives. Lord Jesus, rebuke this demon. Lord Jesus, by the power of your name, silence and command the Spirit to come out. Jesus, if we're trusting and looking to him by faith, will do just that. He did that in my roommate's life. He will do just that. Look at verse 36 as we close here today. Verse 36 and 37. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. (laughs) You get the impression that the rabbis weren't having a lot of success with it over the years? (laughs) And they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So once again, Luke notes how the people are totally blown away by what Jesus just did. First, they were amazed by what he had to say. Now they are amazed by what he just did. This was new. And this was potent stuff, things that they had never seen or experienced in this way before. And yet, it's also powerfully simple. It's also simple. Jesus was introducing the era of a new covenant to them, which would be marked by God's power and authority, and yet presented in pure grace and simplicity. I like this. It never ceases to amaze me at this power simplicity of it all as I come to understand more and more who Jesus is and, and what he's about. And yet I'm, I'm also amazed in a different kind of way at how many Christians keep trying to make it all so complicated, dragging, dragging us back to so many fleshy things, things that resemble more of the old covenant era than it does the new. And in the process, taking away from the powerful simplicity of what Jesus introduced to us. I'm going to tell you, I choose simplicity over formula 
and ritual any day. I choose Jesus and his authority and power over any power and authority I might think I can muster up and wield on my own in spiritual things. And here's the really cool part. When we're doing that, guess who gets the glory? Look at what it said. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The people weren't amazed at, 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 a, at all people. They, they were amazed at Jesus. And when we enact these things in the right way, whether it's being the sharing of the word that makes the word the priority, backed up by living our lives with the conviction that we believe what it is we're sharing, or whether it's dealing with the demonic realm of, of being used as the Lord to, to deliver someone from the bondage that they're in, when we're making Jesus the center of that, when we're standing on his authority and not ours, when we're standing on the simplicity of the power which he's given, and granted, in his word, and in these things, then ultimately word goes out about him, and not about us. What an awesome, yet simple truth that this is, that I hope all of us grasp. It is the simplicity of Jesus, and in that simplicity is power and authority. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.